this episode. Decentralized storage network token Filecoin faces a bumpy launch. Media giant Associated Press heads to blockchain to record U.S. election results. And one of the world's biggest U.S.-based stablecoins adds on another blockchain protocol. What it means to how dominance will be defined. And Chinese authorities have OKX in its crosshairs, its founder detained. We have the latest. Welcome to The Current Forecast, the podcast supplemental that dives into the top blockchain and emerging technology stories of the week, curated by the Forecast News editorial team. Welcome to episode 35, third week of October, just a few weeks ahead of the U.S. elections. COVID continues to make its rounds and a potential travel bubble emerging between Singapore and Hong Kong. But as we all know, anything can happen. I'm Angie Lau, Forecast News Editor-in-Chief. Joining me as usual is Senior Correspondent Sam Reynolds and our Forecast Insights Guru. Let's do our own intellectual bubble right here and expand (laughs) it a little bit more. All right. (laughs) All right, here we go. Let's start with our first story. We've seen 5,000% increase in, in search volumes here on Filecoin. And and full, disclo- full disclosure ahead of us doing this story, uh, Forecast has worked with Filecoin Parent Protocol Labs on a numbers video series ahead of this Filecoin launch. But we remain editorially independent, church and state, Sam. So let's talk about this story through our news lens. What we do know is that Filecoin has launched its main net and it was supported by major cryptocurrency exchanges like Kraken, like Huobi, and Gemini. But it's got a massive bumpy ride. We have issues with miners, and we have issues uh, that are percolating on the launch itself. Tell us more. Right. So the big issue that really occurred is you have, of course, with any kind of you know crypto token launch, massive gyrations in the price of the token, which of course gets everyone excited, which gets everyone throwing around all kinds of allegations. And let's be sure, you know, most of the things about Filecoin were just allegations merely. But one thing that is actually, you know, the legit complaint here is that the entire structure of Filecoin really just rewards those that have the capital to go in and go in big. Because, you know, having a server of the you know strength required to be on the network of Filecoin is already a big investment, right? And then you have to stake, which means buy and hold Filecoin tokens, which reflect your you know contribution for your storage space. So your price tag to actually start off on the network and to do so in a meaningful way is already pretty big. So the complaints people had is that this system actually results in centralization and it would give the rights to Filecoin, uh, the you know the power of Filecoin to the hands of the few as opposed to the hands of the many. And the problem is, though, that uh, there are also allegations of, of uh, uh, the, the pricing uh, in of itself, whether or not the number of Filecoins in the market was legitimately supposed to be there. So the allegations, including from the very controversial Justin Sun, whom we have covered uh, widely and broadly, um, there were some allegations on his end that there was uh, almost a, how would you characterize it, Sam? 
Okay, so uh, first of all, Justin's son, to uh, take news from him is like looking at Alex Jones of Infowars.com, mostly wrong and probably not right. So Sun alleged uh, that people who were working on the Filecoin team, uh, developers, they had their locked up tokens. So just like if you work at a startup, you might have equity inside startup that is locked up for a year or two, right? They thought that he alleged that these people were dumping their tokens on the market to try and do what he claimed was an exit scam. Now, I mean, the thing is, it's Justin's son, so you know your mileage may vary. But what happened was, in any kind of token launch, there's always some tokens held in reserve to build liquidity uh, on the market because you don't want uh, on different markets small liquidity. So any kind of big order would have a huge impact on the price. So what they were doing, it's pretty normal, is just uh, flowing out tokens different exchanges so that they had more to work with. So if someone made a huge order that wouldn't result in a huge uh, price spike. So very normal for any kind of token launch and not you know nefarious like someone alleged. But some of the miners, including the top four miners in China, the big guys, um, they're, they're pretty peeved about it. Yes, I mean, they are. And that just goes back to what I mentioned earlier, where you have to actually buy out a stake in Filecoins to get on the network. So they were alleging that this was some kind of Ponzi scheme and people in China are quite tired and quite aware of ICOs that are Ponzi schemes. So, you know, I'm not going to say they're right, but they're, the critique of the system that you have to stake out contributions, you know, is legit. I mean, in Filecoin's defense, they say that it would create more long-term players and more long-term stakeholders that want to contribute uh, over time versus those looking for, you know, um, a get rich quick scheme. At the same time, though, it is a bit absurd to ask people to, you know, buy into the system to get that, you know, profit from the system in return. So, you know, the extent of the allegations from Sun, you know, are not likely true. However, the critique of the tokenomics is, I think, legit. I, th I think it is absolutely an issue of tokenomics, uh, and a lot of people are still trying to get it right. Uh, and the, the whole thing about consensus and the whole thing about governance is that if you are going to depend on the most amount of people who are going to contribute and participate, you've got to get the tokenomics you know, spot on. Um, I, I feel for the miners who have... Uh, invested a huge monetary stake and um, feel concerned about whether or not they're going to see it back, if it's going to be profitable, because at the end of the day, they've got a staff to pay, they've got equipment to pay for, they've got um, operating costs that still need to be funded. And so to suddenly not understand uh, the tokenomics uh, in a way that they thought they did, no doubt there's frustration there. Uh, but to your point, Sam, I also I also know that this is meant to be a, a platform that lasts a very long time. It is not designed specifically for big miners. In fact, it is designed for everyone. Um, and you know that if if those stakes, um, uh, mean that it's it's more affordable for the indie miners 
who ultimately will be the heroes of, of, uh, of the decentralized uh, storage network that, that Filecoin aims to support. Um, I get that too. So uh, look, we're, we're watching this very closely. And from our perspective here in Asia, it is it, we're really, really close to it uh, because we are certainly um, understanding what, what the, the Chinese uh, sensibility um, from some of these miners uh, are. And, and we got to look through it through the perspective and the context of just what they've experienced uh, in this space and in China f- for a while now. I mean, that's a really good point, right? So when you launch a project in China, you have to be cognizant of past experiences. And, you know, the idea of the Ponzi scheme where everyone must buy in in that, you know, triangle is quite, you know, stuck in people's mindset there. So just be cautious of that kind of tokenomic scheme because that might not have the best reception. Yeah. All right. So you know what? It's it's a, it's culture clash. Isn't that interesting? I, I think yeah. this is this is definitely culture clash uh, in tokenomics. All right, let's talk about our next story here, Associated Press. Hey, for us journos, this is uh, the Grand Dame. Uh, this is the not-for-profit news agency, Associated Press, uh, which counts on, uh, of course, uh, a conglomerate of and, and serves um, hundreds of publishers a- around the world and, and the biggest names. But Associated Press here is going to be publishing the 2020 U.S. election results on blockchain. They're working with blockchain-based encyclopedia, Everypedia, Everypedia, and decentralized Oracle services, Chainlink. This is a very interesting move in media, and it's great to see that blockchain is uh, being utilized in, in such a, uh, an important way. This makes a lot of sense because the AP is a fairly agnostic uh, service. It's co-owned by their members, uh, which range from the Wall Street Journal, New York Times to another dozen or so papers around the U.S. So it makes sense that they would be doing this because they can then publish the results uh, to the blockchain, to Chainlink uh, with that, and then they can you know, push that out to their member papers. You know, in turn, the the big fear is that you have uh, someone on Twitter or Facebook go out and say, oh, look at this. It's the East Coast and we already have X candidate, Y candidate with a commanding lead as per exit polls. You know, don't bother to vote on the West Coast, you know, like that. Obviously illegal. Yes, hugely illegal. But, but But in social media... Uh, that that's hard to police. I mean, obviously the FCC, they're really strict rules. You cannot do that. That is illegal. I had in the U S election coverage that that is a big no, no, but you know, that you make a great point in, in, uh, social media. It's, it's really hard to police that. It is. So bad actors can definitely abuse it. So what they could do is they could require that any election results posted on those platforms are verified via this service. So any kind of, it could have a very uh, filter on there. You know, if you have keywords like election results, you know, polls close, that kind of stuff, there must be at the same time results posted, verified through Chainlink that, oh no, it's not the fact that this person's winning. Here are the results right now. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really, I've, I don't want to say ironic, but it is, it is a really uh, ironic use of 
decentralized protection of centralized figures. This is this is the ultimate in centralizing the votes uh, and the will of the U.S. electorate. Um, and uh, blockchain, in its decentralized form, actually securitizes uh, those results. Um, because at the end of the day, they're enormously important, and uh, any misreporting could have unintended consequences. So it is—it's really great to see Associated Press applying blockchain in a very important way. There. All right, let's talk about this next story here. Uh, USDC. We've seen a close to thirty-five hundred percent increase in search volumes for uh, this stablecoin, and. Stablecoin, Sam. I mean, for anyone who is just joining us, curious about it, uh, and just learning about it, I mean, stablecoins has been one of the biggest breakout trends and themes uh, in the past year. Um, obviously, with global monetary uh, policy, uh, but also in its role in DeFi. And so, when USDC is expanding. It's uh, use cases. Well, is it use cases, or it's it's beyond the the blockchain protocol of Ethereum? Um, this is very interesting move here, but one that makes sense. It makes sense because there is a world that's not called Ethereum that's also <laughs> blockchains. So the problem with Ethereum is that in its current form, it gets congested very quickly. We saw with DeFi this summer, the great DeFi craze, we saw the gas fees, so the fee you have to pay miners to close transactions, jump substantially. And so that really made people look at other blockchains. So, you know, it, it shows that DeFi, uh, sorry, not DeFi, but stablecoins rather, are here to stay, that the big story of 2020, which are stablecoins, is going to be something that is with us for a long time. And so ensuring that there are multiple blockchains that support stable coins is great for the industry as a whole. And, you know, it shows that we're not going to be centralized on Ethereum, that we have other kinds of uh, blockchains too that support the same technology. Yeah. I mean, I remember as we, as I, you know, as a journalist covering this space in the very early days, I mean, there was even conjecture about, um, will there be one blockchain to rule them all? And I think that that has, while we see dominant players like Ethereum, uh, like even Bitcoin, uh, but it has really, has really expanded beyond that. I, I think that this is a continued um, proof point that there will not be one blockchain protocol to rule them all. That there are many, many Hyperledger, Cardano, uh, EOS, Ethereum. I mean, we could go down the the huge list of protocols that are emerging that are specific use cases and then more broad use cases. But I think this is an example of where it's the utility, the actual application that lives on the layer of protocol that will start to galvanize. Uh, and centralize interest and centralize dominance. It's it's how people want to use it, um, and not necessarily the the protocol it lives on. Certainly, because you wouldn't you have a toolkit. You don't have a tool. You have multiple tools. And right. while Ethereum's great, it is a very broad blockchain, and you have to have a specialized toolkit to tackle the problems. 
Absolutely. All right. So in our backyard here in Asia, let's wrap things up with our focus on China. And this is a very interesting story. But uh, from our perspective, we've been covering this type of story for a while. And so let's try to dissect and uh, get to the bottom of this. All right. So we uh, are watching this with great and rapt attention. Star Su, who is the founder of cryptocurrency exchange OKX, is currently being held by police. While OKX, the exchange, has halted services for its customers to withdraw tokens since October 16th. Now, according to a big Chinese media um, outlet, Chaisin, it reported that Star uh, Su has been taken by police, and uh, OKX says that um, the CEO of OKX said that the investigation quote concerns a private keyholder's personal issue only. All right, so Sam, let's read between the tea leaves. <laughs> so we don't really know why they are looking at OKX, but we know they're not happy. So. OKX wears up and down. It's not about money laundering. And that's probably correct. But the one thing I'm looking at here is the fact they mentioned that it's about uh, the person that controls the private keys. So it could be that authorities in, in China are curious or interested or angry about you know the fact that one person controls all these keys. And if that person's Chinese uh, in China and a Chinese national, they would be the custodian for said keys, which might put them in violation of securities law. So the other thing is, I think they're well aware of the threat of centralized custody uh, for exchanges. You know, with Quadrico CX, you had one person controlling the custody, and the crux of the problem there was that when when he allegedly died you had with him the keys. So I think authorities are concerned for two things. First of all, that they don't want people to be wiped out if they can't get these keys back or this person with the keys vanishes. Secondly, they're concerned about if this person is in custody of these keys, they are ergo the custodian of these cryptocurrencies, which would put them in violation perhaps of Chinese securities law. Yeah, and I think what's also interesting is that in the context of China's um, real goals to include blockchain, um, its efforts in DCEP, Decentralized Currency Electronic Payment, it's the digital RMB efforts, um, how it is also working with other blockchain protocols like uh, Conflux, for example, uh, you know, OKX is is in this kind of nebulous world where it remains um, a Malta-based firm, but <laughs> uh, on paper, uh, but really in in practicality, that team is in that team is in China, and so. Um, you know, OKX must know, same with Huobi, um, must know how delicate this dance must be. And so in the context of that, it's interesting uh, that that China has bigfooted in. And they often do, you know, China often does send a message through its authority, uh, through its authorities. I mean, we've seen this time and time again, and it does not matter 
how much you have, how, what the political connections you have. At the end of the day, um, this is how China sends its message through its authority. If I can share an anecdote from the Verge's story on Justin's son, uh, Beijing was angry. They were pissed that he was going to take a meeting with capitalist in chief Warren Buffett during the height of the trade war. And Sun wouldn't take their calls either. So uh, cops in Beijing went into the uh, office of Tron in Beijing and they, uh, they didn't arrest anyone, but they took everyone's computers away and their phones away until Sun, you know, took their call and apologized on Weibo. One of those, you know, not cryptic, but uniquely worded, half-hearted posts about how he would, uh, you know, be less vocal uh, and be less boisterous and promise to preserve the Chinese system of socialism and capitalism with their own characteristics. So occasionally they will give you a big notice that you've crossed a red line and money can't help you there. No, and no one is to be a mouthpiece for China except China itself. Yeah. But Yes. Uh, and and sometimes and sometimes you don't know about it until you face 18 years uh, of corruption charges, uh, and uh, you know this is being invited to tea is is um, is a is something that we have seen time and time again um, with with uh, some of these really symbolic but very powerful uh, leaders and co-founders of of giant firms. So, but, but why we're interested in, in this story is uh, the headline is very obvious, but the subtext, and I do believe that this is a very important story about subtext, uh, is what's happening with OKX. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, um, that's not to say, that's not to say that uh, any of the concerns are uh, delegitimate. That that's not saying that at all. We we simply don't know. But but um, we're just putting it in context so that that the audience uh, the audience is also paying attention a little bit. Um, uh, probably and context more is for kings, as they say. <laughs> that's right. And and uh, with that, we hope. At least uh, we gave you a royal treatment on some intellectual discourse, Sam and I. Sam, as usual, it was always it's always a pleasure to hang out with you. Yes, thank you. All right, and thank you everyone for joining us on this latest episode of The Current Forecast. We hope you are well. Stay safe. We will join you in one week's time. I'm Forecast Editor-in-Chief Angie Lau. 